Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Dean Finelli on Politics and Life Science Radio. Thank you for joining us. I'm very excited to have as my featured guest today, Ms. Rebecca Clark. Rebecca is a tech reporter at The Hill. We'll speak with Rebecca in a few minutes. Uh, a lot of news uh, dominating the life science industry, of course, most of which is regarding the vaccines, COVID, variants, uh, and a lot of positive news. Uh, it looks like Pfizer just came out with data showing that its COVID vaccine, its mRNA-based vaccine, is about 91% effective uh, against the South African variant, which is certainly good news. There's been a lot of concern from public health officials uh, that these variants may not be uh, or may evade the current vaccines, but certainly uh, great news from Pfizer, 91% effective against the South African variant. And if we recall, it was 95% effective uh, in the trial that was conducted last summer. So it looks pretty equivalent there. Uh, one would imagine that Moderna, which is also an mRNA vaccine, would probably likely also be effective uh, against the South African variant. We know these these vaccines are also effective against the UK variant. So it looks like we're going to get good protection uh, across the board from these, uh, at least the mRNA vaccines. Johnson & Johnson still testing theirs. Uh, and we know when they did their trial, they were about 72% across the board. They did their trial after Pfizer and Moderna. So uh, some of those South African variants were already in the population. So that could be the reason they were a little lower. But any, in any event, Pfizer certainly is good news. Uh, Pfizer had other great news coming out. The vaccine showed 100% effectiveness in children ages 12 to 15, there's a lot of talk about getting our kids back in school. A lot of people think, you know, we're a little behind pace there, but, you know, public health officials are trying to be safe, trying to take a very cautious approach, especially when it comes to kids. So this is certainly welcome news. Uh, Pfizer did a test in about, excuse me, a trial in about uh, 2,200 children ages 12 to 15. Uh, Pfizer currently is approved, or excuse me, authorized uh, for individuals 16 and over so now they're expanding that out uh, to 12 to 15 year olds uh, if the data is approved we could see uh, children 12 to 15 getting vaccinated uh, sometime maybe even before the school year this year so certainly other good news one issue that's been out there for a while that people have been talking about is do the vaccines prevent transmission we know the trials were run 
because we were time wasn't really on our side. We had to get these vaccines out there. The trials were run to show that the vaccines prevented the symptoms. So uh, these vaccines, when we hear those numbers, 95 percent, 94 percent, those percentages that came out of the trials uh, were percentages based on preventing the symptoms that asymptomatic symptoms or mild to severe moderate symptoms of the virus. But we didn't really know whether these vaccines prevent an infection. Uh, data has been creeping out lately. There was data in February out of Israel that said it uh, looked like the Pfizer vaccine would prevent uh, transmission of the virus, would prevent infection, which means if you're preventing transmission, obviously we can get back to normal without wearing a mask. So it's certainly good news coming out. Uh, certainly the CDC is probably not going to jump on this news that quickly because, you know, as a public health institution, uh, they're taking a very cautious approach. They don't want people to just jump out and stop wearing masks. But, you know, just that positive light at the end of the tunnel, uh, we could still start to see that. Uh, over 150 million Americans have been vaccinated. Over 200 million doses have been distributed. So we're looking like herd immunity uh, could be reached sometime uh, maybe by July 4th, sometime in July this summer, we could have the majority of Americans, at least adults, vaccinated, uh, at least with one shot, and many over half the country likely with two shots if you're taking those vaccines that require two dosages. Uh, and this ties into another issue. New York has come up with uh, what they're calling an Excelsior Pass. Uh, it's a basically a vaccine a proof or a, a, a certification uh, through your mobile device that you either have been vaccinated or you have had a negative test. So with all this positive news coming out showing the effectiveness of the vaccines against variants, the effectiveness against the vaccines uh, in children, uh, the data that's starting to show that uh, the vaccines prevent the transmission of the virus, do we really need this? And that's why I'm very happy today uh, to speak with my guest, Rebecca Clara. Rebecca is a tech reporter at The Hill. Uh, she is based in Washington, D.C. And before joining The Hill, uh, Rebecca was a reporter for the York Dispatch, uh, a daily paper in York, Pennsylvania, where she covered city government, economic development. And she was also a reporter at Blank Slate Media, where she covered politics, crime, and education. Rebecca had an article out today talking about uh, this Excelsior Pass, and one of the issues we're hearing is, among obviously everything that comes out of D.C. Uh, seems to go along party lines, and the Excelsior Pass is no exception. Uh, it looks like because perhaps it came starting in New York out of a Democratic uh, state, uh, Florida said they would never do that. Governor DeSantis was completely against it, so we're seeing these party lines start to uh, be drawn in the sand, and hopefully, uh, you know, this won't become a, a, a partisan issue, but, you know, I don't know how optimistic we are. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, you know, you had this article today that came out, and really, uh, you know, we could just almost feel everything out of Washington just feels like it has a partisan uh, feel to it, and you know, these political, as I mentioned, these political battle lines are seem to be getting drawn in the sand. Are, do you think we'll be able to have a, a bipartisan debate on the, the need for these? Or does, do you, does your feel 
Does it feel like, you know, the politics are going to, and the partisan politics are going to, you know, sort of control this issue? Yeah, I think that definitely, you know, like most of the issues that have um, come up, especially in the last year with the pandemic, uh, I think it is going to be a highly partisan debate. But I think that there are ways, um, you know, where some Republicans uh, may take a softer stance on this or perhaps uh, Democrats taking the opposite um, viewpoint. I think a big point is going to be based on where some of the businesses and Uh, industries that have been hard hit by the pandemic sort of fall on this issue. Um, And, you know, if they view that something like these uh, passes or the vaccine passports that they're being referred to, you know, will help them come back. I think that could be um, a driving factor in this. Now, we heard, especially on the Democrat side, that, you know, they and President Biden has said this several times that he's not going to mandate uh, a vaccination and most governors if not all have said they're not mandating vaccinations but it kind of feels like by you know having this pass and you know if you're going to use this pass to allow people to do certain activities you know are we indirectly basically mandating a vaccine you know it seems like some of the criticism is um you know drawing this into being something that's mandated Uh, But it's obviously not entirely unprecedented where schools may require children to get certain vaccines before coming or international travel may require people to get certain vaccines and show proof of that. Um, So I think some of the criticism is uh, maybe overstepping what some of these um, programs like New York has put out has said. They haven't, you know, it seems like they've been able to control certain, um, mitigate certain risks with grocery stores or shopping or restaurants as it is, but I think that these requirements are probably going to pop up more for industries trying to come back that haven't been able to put in place social distancing measures. So, for example, allowing fans back into stadiums because that's been a big issue or to allow it for live theater or expand um, weddings and other events like that, I think, is a way that these passes are going to be utilized more. Well, that would certainly be great. And we know the uh, Washington Nationals, New York Mets opening game was canceled tonight because of COVID issues. Some of the players tested, uh, at least one player tested positive. So definitely uh, areas like that, it, it could seem like it would be effective. Uh, one of the the things that uh, I, I kind of think about when I, when I hear this Excelsior pass is, you know, we've been hearing Dr. Fauci and the CDC uh, talk about, you know, getting back to normal, us reaching herd immunity. Are you, what are you hearing with regard to, you know, is this really necessary? If we're going to hit herd immunity by July, is this kind of overkill than having people uh, use this pass? Right. I guess, you know, that's something that they're definitely going to have to be looking into. And, you know, the White House hasn't um, put out its guidance yet. They said that they're going to put out guidance through the CDC. So I'm sure that's something that they're considering, you know, whether there's sort of a time stamp on how long these passes may be um, necessary for it. For example, with New York's program right now, a lot of them, um, where proof is required, you need to show a negative test or proof of vaccination. So I think as vaccines are more um, available and, you know, everyone is eligible to get them and once they've reached a certain amount and if we come to herd immunity, it may, you know, change in terms of if these uh, proof of vaccines may be required in order to attend events. 
Understood. This is Dean Finelli on Politics and Life Science Radio. I'm talking with Rebecca Clar, a tech reporter at the Hill. Rebecca, if we um, one of the areas, you know, when we look back over the last year that I think uh, was a big issue in this country is the, the lack of diagnostic testing. Um, you know, and President Biden, I think, has intentionally kind of made it a point that he's going to kind of stay out of this and leave a lot of uh, with regard to these passes up to the states. Uh, do you get the sense that uh, we, we're going to need some type of federal hands on federal guidance? Because it just seems if we leave it up to the states, you may be opening this up to a situation where one state adopts the Excelsior Pass, another state adopts something else, and then we don't have a uniform system that can get a little haphazard. What are you hearing about that? Is this, do you think they'll have a uniform kind of one size fits all, or do you think this is just literally going to be up to the states to decide what they want to do? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely, um, you know, it'll be seen when, um, you know, the White House sort of releases their guidance, but I imagine that states may be wanting some sort of guidance in order to, you know, create systems that work within each other. Um, When I was speaking to IBM, who um, has been working with New York and other states on these, they talked a lot about having interoperable passes. So, you know, if you live in New York, but you want to go to events, even in Connecticut, which is just a state over, being able to scan that code on your pass and having it show up. Um, So I think that's going to be important. And, you know, also with international travel, being able to make sure that what you have and, and your pass and your vaccine proof is able to is accepted from another country in order for you to get in. So I think those are definitely things that as, um, you know, international and domestic travel ramps up again, I think is going to be important for them to, to really issue some guidance on. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Another area where I think guidance probably uh, could be used, and I don't, I don't know if you've heard anything about this, but we're, we are hearing a lot that, you know, there's a lot of inequity when it comes to the healthcare system overall with the, the distribution of vaccines. And there's a lot of skepticism, uh, especially in the black community, uh, about getting a vaccine at all. Do you think that these passports, have you heard anything about how that will be addressed and if um, potential racial inequities with regard to uh, individuals who, for historic reasons, don't want to get the vaccines may be prejudiced by requiring them to get a, a, a vaccine passport? Or will there be exemptions to it? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely, you know, something that they're they're likely going to have to be looking at and issuing this and making sure that they're not, um, you know, discriminating against any communities that may be more hesitant to get it. But it does seem like, at least for now, um, the states that have any proof of vaccine requirements in place, it is for more um, not as necessary activities. It's not, you know, people saying you need this proof in order to buy groceries if you need this proof to have up to 150 people at your wedding. So I think going forward, that's um, definitely something that they're going to be uh, looking at. And, you know, um, the White House has also said that in whatever they're planning to do um, in that guidance, also making sure that there are options to have uh, people show print documents if they don't have access to smartphones or maybe choose not to use them. So making sure that you know, whatever requirements may be in place or that guidance is accessible to most Americans. Yeah, this is definitely an issue where we're not going to uh, figure it out that quickly. There's a lot of issues, and I'm sure politics is definitely going to drive a lot of the narrative over the next few weeks as as this is rolled out. Rebecca, thank you so much for your time today. It was really a pleasure speaking with you.
Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. This is Dean Finale. We're speaking with Ms. Rebecca Clark, a tech reporter at The Hill, on New York's Excelsior Pass and how that will look as it's potentially rolled out throughout the country. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.